0: Makes me glad to be an American. Uh, and when I think about the people who have stood in the gap for us, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you've done for us. Uh, I'm very grateful to you and to God who gave you to us. Hey, I miss you guys. I want you to know I'm far more comfortable. Uh, than I would ordinarily be at Northland, this is a good, comfortable chair and If I fall asleep in my sermon, uh, Faye or David will wake me up and we'll start all over again. but this is a pleasant way to preach, but I do miss you guys, and it's been uh, and it's been a while hasn't it but soon. We'll be together again, I trust. As you know, we're continuing with our series in the 23rd Psalm, and Matt asked me to do the first part of the sixth verse of the 23rd Psalm. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we're your people we ask that you would come yourself and speak to our minds so that we wouldn't be shallow or silly in our faith. And then, Father, uh, speak to our hearts so we won't be cold and angry and condemning. And then speak to our vocal cords and our hands and our feet so that when we Join with others. They can hear the laughter of the redeemed. And Father, as always, we pray for the one who teaches. Forgive him his sins, because they are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's a very old sermon illustration. It was uh uh it was given to me by Columbus just after he came to America, but it's a story about a a pastor and an actor that were at a dinner party and somebody suggested that both of them, being communicators, do a reading. And somebody said, "Why don't you do the 23rd psalm?" And the actor went first, and he was magnificent. I mean, you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody was so impressed with his reading of the 23rd Psalm. And then they asked the pastor if he would read the same Psalm, and he was hesitant. His voice wasn't strong, and he got caught up in it emotionally when he read it. But when he finished People weren't impressed. They were moved. And there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Somebody said to the actor, what happened? And he said, I'll tell you what happened. I knew the song and the pastor knew the shepherd. That's true. And that's good. I know I've been given the sixth verse, but I love this psalm so much, and you do too, that we're going to take the time, as always, to read the entire psalm. The psalmist writes, uh, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to do some commentary on that by way of sermonic teaching But before we do that, I have to go down one side road. And the side road is this. This psalm and the other psalms, too, teach us a lot for our heads. But they give us a lot for our hearts, too. God speaks with the facts, but he speaks with the feelings, too. Um. We Christians are kind of ambivalent about feelings, aren't we? (laughs) I'm a Calvinist, and I'm reformed theologically. You ever try to teach a Calvinist to dance? Or, Or have you ever heard a Calvinist try to tell a joke? They just can't pull it off, and you know why? Because they're, well, they know the words. They just don't know the melody. Now, don't get me wrong, and I'm going to say some things about it later on. Doctrine and facts are very important. When you think God has deserted you and gone on vacation to a Y or something, you know what the facts say about that. When you think you're not loved, that he's finally said, I've had it with you, the thing you do at that point is that you don't trust your feelings, you trust the facts. It's an old saying, and it's very sexist, but it used to hang on the walls of homes. And mothers said to their daughters, honey, kissing don't last, but cooking do. I can't believe I even said that. (laughs) But that's another way of saying that some things hold it together, and the facts are one of those things. But not always. They're matters of the heart, and the heart knows. My uh, friend Brent Hansen wrote a book recently, and I just talked to him about it was called The Truth About Us and it's about self righteousness and it's an incredibly great book. But one of the things he does in that book is that he he talks about how most of the decisions, if not all of them, that we make are made emotionally. He cites several studies that show that's true. Let me tell you about my new car. I have a new Honda Accord, and it is so cool, and it's so wonderful that I wish I could bring it into my study now and show it to you. You would be so impressed. My other Honda Accord had 250 plus thousand miles on it and it was getting ready to die, and I really needed to get something else. So I got Consumer Report, and I spent hours and hours of time researching cars and which was the best car, and if you believe any of this, you'll believe anything. I didn't do any of that. I walked by the new Accord, and I thought, whoa, I love that car. And I really, really do. Does that surprise you? (laughs) It shouldn't because you're emotional too. Because emotions are a part of what God has done for you. That's who you are. It's a definition of you. And it shouldn't be any surprise that the God who created us would create us in a way where we can hear the facts, but we can hear the song too. If you uh, remember in the 35th chapter of uh, Job, Elihu is saying crazy things to Job. I mean, Job's dying there and he's got these friends that are giving him a lesson in philosophy. And, uh, Most of what Elihu says is nonsense. But one of the things is he says, how come you're so down? You're not singing. And the real God gives us songs in the night season. (laughs) Well, Elihu is right about that. That's what happens, the songs in the night. So don't forget your emotions. You say, Steve, where are you going with this? Listen up, I'm going to tell you. When you can't sleep at night, read the 23rd Psalm. And for God's sake and for your sake, don't analyze it. When you're really afraid and you're worried about, about what's happening in your life, maybe this virus, sit down and read the 23rd Psalm. And for God's sake, and for your sake, don't get out of commentary, okay? When the world has rolled over on top of you, and and you just don't think you can go on, let me tell you what to do. Sit down and be still, and read the 23rd Psalm. And for God's sake, and for your sake, don't think much about it. Let the Holy Spirit who speaks through his word wash over you with the reality of the emotion that he has designed in you. Well, with all of that being said, we got to say some things about the facts. I am, after all, a preacher. You know, when I came to Christ, I'd been at a graduate school in Boston and uh, I didn't believe in anything. And all of a sudden, the facts got to me and what happened was cerebral. In other words, I I had a faith in God because I'd been convinced by the facts, and it wasn't altogether different than my faith in the multiplication table. I used to say things from the pulpit. People would cry, and I'd want to stop in the middle of the sermon and say, what are you, a fruitcake? What's wrong with you? Until God moved me emotionally, and I began to see that I've got a side of that too. But the facts are important. If you have feelings with facts, you've got schmaltz. If you put them together, you've got God's word. And so, before we begin, let me give you two or three facts. The first fact in this verse being assigned to me, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The the first fact is that goodness and mercy naturally go together. Mercy mostly forgives you and goodness mostly hugs you. But the operative phrase, and you shouldn't miss it, is for all the days of my life. This past week, um, I wrote a blurb for my friend Mike Graham's book, and it was a biography of another friend of mine. In fact, one of my mentors, his name was Jack Miller. He taught at Westminster Seminary, where sometimes I used to teach. Uh, I may have told you about Jack Miller before. I loved him a lot. Uh, He was the one who said the whole Christian faith can be summed up in two sentences. The first one is, cheer up. (laughs) You're a lot worse than you think you are. And the second one is, cheer up. God's grace is a lot bigger than you think it is. But one of the things uh, that Mike said in his book was out of a dissertation that he wrote, and I read almost all of his dissertation, but one of the things he pointed out that was great about Jack Miller. And Mike didn't worship at Jack's altar. He was honest and real about who he was and his sins, just the way Jack was. But but Mike quoted a lot of people that said the big thing about Jack is that he preached the gospel to the church. And you say, wait, I thought we were saved. Do you know he... Who needs the gospel more than anybody else? Christians need the gospel more than anybody else. Let me uh, give you a lie that's always a lie, and then I'm going to give you a truth that's always true. The lie is this: prodigals never return to the pigs. If you, if you believe that, you'll believe anything. Prodigals always, they don't stay as long as they did. And I believe in the process of sanctification, we do get better, although it's sometimes hard to see. But prodigals return to the pigs, and that's a fact. And if you don't believe it, go to another church where they believe in entire sanctification. In Northland, we don't believe that. All right, let me give you a truth that's always true. The Father, your heavenly Father, has an unlimited supply of fatted calves, a bunch of shiny rings, a whole lot of new clothes, and a bunch of a closet full of shoes. <laughs> or as uh, my beloved friend uh, Jerry Perry said, you're going to run out of sin before God runs out of grace. I love that statement because it applies to me. Oh, and this is true of you. You want to please God, don't you? I do more than any man you ever met. You really want to be better than you are, don't you? Boy, do I. Sometimes I think I, I think I'm not getting any better. You struggle with besetting. Saying, oh, me too. Me too. And then I remember, for all. My days, goodness and mercy. Let me show you something else. Not only do goodness and mercy, twin angels go together and hold hands for all your days. Goodness and mercy, when it comes from God, doesn't always feel like goodness and mercy. Sometimes it's a severe mercy. Sometimes it's, well, sometimes it's just good for you, but it doesn't feel like goodness and mercy. Sometimes I say to God, if you really love me, you would heal my hearing problem. If if you really love me, And you can add to the list if you want to. Sometimes his goodness, which is always there for all your days, doesn't feel like goodness. And his mercy uh, sometimes doesn't feel like mercy either. I have a missionary friend who called me one time because his son was in the hospital and they thought he was going to die. And Sam my friend said Steve would you pray for my son and he began to cry and I prayed with him on the phone and then I got on my knees when we got off the phone and I prayed for him the next day he called me and he said Steve you're not going to believe this my son is getting better and they say he's going to be fine God is so good and then and then he stopped and I'll never forget this he said I just thought if my son had died, God would still have been good. That sounds so glib, doesn't it? It's really not. Do you know the most miraculous thing about being a Christian is the laughter at funerals. It's a supernatural laughter, right I am working on a book. I'm going to keep writing them till I get it right. The working title of the new book is Laughter and Lament, The Touchstones for Christian Health. And it started when I started noticing laughter from people that shouldn't be laughing. I have a friend whose wife died night before last, and I, talked to him yesterday and they've gone through two years and I use the word advisedly two years of hell it's just been awful and finally God said it's enough you come home and my friend is just dying it's just awful and we prayed together and I told him what you're supposed to say and I didn't know what to say but I said what you're supposed to say and all of that and then I said, I sound like I'm preaching a sermon to you. And he started laughing. And I thought, where did that come from? It's supernatural. It's real. The laughter in the midst of the lament. And it comes from the emotion. You have to read my book when it comes out. You'll know the whole story. But it comes from the emotion. And it comes from the facts that no matter how dark it gets. Christians sing songs in the night season. And for the life of me, I'm not sure why. So when it's not going well for you, and I know it's not for some of you, uh, if this is a hard time, if you're dealing with your issues and it seems like God has gone away, Uh, be still, goodness, and mercy all the time, all the days of your life. I've probably told this story to you. I've told it a lot of times. Back in the olden days of Northland, when you could still hear the sound of roller skates, echoing against that old skate rink, (laughs) I'd go over to Northland uh, because I'd be on the road over the weekend and I want to go to worship someplace. And uh, so I'd show up at Northland, sit on the back row, and, uh, and I'd generally get there late, but I got there early one time. And there were just a few of us in that auditorium. And there was a woman... Uh, sitting about four rows in front of me, and uh, she was quietly sobbing. And, I, you know, I thought maybe I ought to go say something to her and say if there's anything, I'm a religious, I'm a preacher, maybe I could help. And then I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Sometimes you just want to be left alone. So I didn't. But I prayed for her, and I said, Lord, I don't know what she's going through, but it's hard. And uh, you promised to come alongside, so do that with her. And then people started coming in. The auditorium was packed, and I lost sight of her. But when we stood up to sing the song, and it was the old version, he is good, he's good all the time, I could see her between the people that I could see. And she didn't even get up. She just sat there and cried. And I prayed for her again, and I watched her. But as we sang that song over and over, and then for the third time, she stood up. She raised her hands up to the roof, <laughs> and she joined God's people singing, He's good. He's good all the time. Well, I'm almost finished, but i got one more point, and then we'll end this thing. Goodness and mercy not only go together, they go together for all our days. Goodness and mercy sometimes don't feel like goodness and mercy. But don't forget this. Goodness and mercy are God's remedy for neurotic paranoia. <laughs> you, I mean, if, if you're not paranoid in our culture, then you're out of your mind. You're, I mean, there are people that hate us. They really do. And I spent a lot of years teaching seminary students that they wouldn't survive unless they develop paranoia in their life. And I would say, not the way I've got it, every time I meet three people who are talking, I'm sure they're talking about me, so don't go that far. But you got to recognize there are people that don't like you. And if you don't, don't recognize that, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Have you ever been stalked? That's scary, isn't it? Have you ever been walking downtown in the middle of the night and somebody's following you and you're sure they're a thief. That's scary too. Or maybe you look in your rear view mirror and it's a cop. Oh, and you think, Oh man. And then all of a sudden, maybe this has happened to you. That person shows and it turns out to be a friend and you almost speak in tongues, you're so joyful. It is so wonderful when you discover who's there. Let me tell you who's there. Goodness and mercy are there behind you always, all the time. And if that doesn't settle you, you're dead. Let God speak to your heart and your head to remind you of that. I've been really honest with you guys about the fact that I struggle sometimes. And I'm not trying to be authentic. I really do. And I don't want you to discover that, and I have to explain it later on. So I do struggle. But I'm perfect in two or three areas. So I ought to brag, too. Do you know those uh, on toll roads, where they have changed things that you put in them, and then they raise the thing and let you through. I've been driving longer than most of you have been alive, and I've never missed one of those. I mean, not once. Not a single dime has ever fallen on the street. And so, how about that, sports fans? I'm perfect. And there's one other area. Um. Never have adult beverages touched these pure lips. <laughs> I'd like to say it was my purity, but it wasn't. It was God who messed up my desire. I've tried over and over and over. I was in Northern Ireland not too long ago and ordered a Guinness. I mean, that's they have Guinness clothes there, and I thought, And since I'm speaking here and nobody's looking at me, I think I'll have a beer. So I ordered a Guinness. Do you you guys drink that stuff? That tastes like Axel grease. That's the worst. I spit it out. So I've been perfect. My father was an alcoholic, and God fixed it in my generation. And I'm not altogether happy with that, but he did. So I'm perfect in two areas, and there used to be three until last week. I've never run a red light. I've been close. Never run a red light. And I've never been stopped by a police officer for running a red light until last week. Let me tell you what happened. This really happened in my hometown of Oviedo last week. I look behind me, and there's a cop, a police officer behind me, and his blue light's going. And I thought, I haven't done anything wrong. I'm not speeding. I didn't hit anybody. I didn't run over a child or an old lady or anything, but I pulled over. And he came up to me, and I said, Officer, what did I do? He said, Sir, you ran a red light. <laughs> and I said, No. I, I said, Was it orange when I got in and I didn't make it it. He said, No, it was red, and you ran it. And I said, I'm I'm sorry. And he said, well, don't do it again. Honest, don't do it again. Then he turned, looked back and said, have a good day. And he got in his cruiser and drove off. <laughs> Is that cool or what? Man, I wanted to jump up and down and sing. That's the way you ought to feel when you look behind you and uh, you're scared. Remember what I taught you. And be quiet. And you'll hear the words, hey, got your back. You have a nice day, and you think about that. Amen.